Brigadon. Welcome back to Real Voices of the Game Productions. I'm Dave D'Agostino, and I'm joined by my co-host, Hall of Famer and star of the show, Kevin Kernan. This is uh, this is Coach and Kernan, episode 235. Sorry there. And that was little Fritz Chrysler on the violin. If you thought you were opening up to Masterpiece Theater, that's uh, one of my favorite violinists. I don't know if any people have a favorite violinist. And then happens to be introduced by a book I'm reading, A Terrible Beauty, Ty Cobb. It was one of his favorite violinists just by chance. So Figured I'd open up the show with it today. But uh, Kevin, welcome back to your show. Great book. I read that. Yeah, yeah. It's a great book. I mean, Ty Cobb is uh, love to see a Ty Cobb in baseball today. He would he would he would destroy the whole game. Oh, with how how ferocious he was and aggressive and winning, it goes against a lot of what our society is trying to teach with these kids in terms of competition and and whatnot. Right. He was uh, and smart too. He was so smart. I mean, he was a smart guy, and he. If you think, I think if you had to pick one guy in the history of baseball who was screwed over by everybody, including the writers, it would be Ty Cobb. Yeah, such a terrible portrait was has been painted of him through time and never questioned. And you often wonder who who he who he pissed off back in his day that controlled the media that uh, decided to paint such a horrible picture. I'm glad that the book was written. Though people, I recommend that as well. Terrible Beauty, Ty Cobb. It basically refutes intelligently. And factually, uh, a lot of the stuff that's been thrown out there about him and his personal life. So very intelligent, like you said, very intelligent, very good with money, very, very uh, philanthropic, uh, heavy into medicine. His father was educated as well. And um, certainly, as you said, in the baseball field was a genius in terms of how he approached the game. I bet you he took ivermectin. (laughs) I wouldn't doubt it. I wouldn't doubt it. Um, He was healthy. He was healthy. Well, we... um, we, we talked a little bit about the show, uh, a lot of good movement with our network and our show, and just want to alert our audience that uh, we will be, uh, we, we have evolved. We've established our business structure. We've established uh, the affiliates around us in terms of the business that will support us, uh, heavy patriotic uh, businesses uh, in terms of the groups that are going to be connected with us. And we'll put out more there this week as we get our uh, articles in and our our bylaws in and, and our membership agreements in and, and whatnot. But we're excited to, after a year plus of work building this for our audience, and just so our audience knows how we developed our affiliates was through you guys. And we thank you that we have affiliated ourselves with uh, products, a lot of patriotic products uh, that that you guys are using. And, and we decided to, again, keep this, uh, keep our subscription free but also how, how can we reward our audience for supporting us? And then how can we be rewarded as well for the hard work our hosts put in here every week? So we found a middle ground and we're excited to get rolling and we should have everything up and running by the end of the week. So thank you to you guys for the support. Thank you for our hosts for the, the patience and persistence. And uh, we're ready to rock and roll here with today's episode. But uh, trade deadline, Kevin, August 1st. Do you like that date for the trade deadline? I mean, that's. No, it should be earlier. It should be earlier. I think, uh, it's become such a crutch for baseball. Um, you know, you should be able to build your team that's good from the beginning. You know, why, 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 do you, uh, why do you see if you're in it, you know? It's such a 
basically every GM has created the greatest scam in the world on, on uh, almost every GM on their fan base. You know, uh, we're in it now. We you know, should should we buy? Should we sell? You stink. Most of these teams stink. You know, and and uh, we we got a lot to talk about this week with that. I, I'll probably I'm going to be on fire this week with some of this stuff, and and also we'll talk about my Bartman piece and my 301 hitter. You know, the 300 hitter where he's gone, dinosaur piece. But let's start with the trade deadline because um, yeah, I'm and and again, Dave, this is not me jumping on a bandwagon right from the beginning i told you the mets and yankees had some real difficulties in leadership with cashman and epler epler used to be cashman's right hand guy i don't know how that's baseball now though you get promoted if you stink and and uh, I, I was just looking at one quick thing with um what a week it's been for cashman because severino gets crushed again uh you know he got signed to that four-year 40-year a million dollar deal in 2019. Same month, they signed Aaron Hicks to the seven year 70 million. That's $110 million out the window, Hal Steinbrenner. And and we got to believe that these guys know what they're doing. And, and, and Billy Epler, what is it, 334 million or something? Uh, and, and Steve Cohen is can't figure out why they don't have pitching. Well, they didn't have red pitching in, with the Angels, you know? And now the, the Scherzer trade, I'm guessing Verland will be traded to. Uh, and you know, um, the, the comments too, the comments are like, you know, you know, Billy said, um, our price points are high talking about trade stuff. Now, when I talk to you, you, you sometimes throw out smart things and, you know, I'm just a regular guy and I get what you're saying, but what GMs talk like that now or ever did, I, you know, I've covered the game for nearly 50 years. Our price points are high. This isn't uh, lakefront beach, beach, uh, you know, lakefront property on, on HGTV. It's not <laughs> price points. You're getting players. You want to get guys who are gutsy players, winners. You know, we're repurposing the investment. Shut up. Shut up. I mean, if I'm a Mets fan now, I got to be going through the roof about what they're doing. And I said it right from the beginning, Lindor, it all started with Lindor, $341 million for that guy. And he thinks he's a home run hitter instead of being the player he should be now. What do you need to be now, Dave? You're the coach. You know, you got to be a team now that can run a little bit. You yep. can. Uh, you got to be athletic. He's athletic, and they don't make him be athletic. I mean, it's it's unbelievable. Even when they sign a player that has the ability to do it, they don't make him play his game. They let him swing from his butt. And more pitching injuries left and right. Uh, it's been a tough year for Hefner. You know, I like Hefner, nice guy. And, and Billy's a nice guy, too. You know, I know Billy pretty quite well. And um, But but baseball-wise, uh, it, it's a joke. It's a joke what's happening in baseball. And uh, one thing I will say about the trade deadline, thank God for – we'll see where it goes. But the Rangers have made some great moves. And the one thing I've known from all my years in the clubhouse, when a trade makes a move, when a team makes a trade to make them better, it lifts the whole clubhouse. I spoke to someone this week uh, close to Judge about that, and um, you know we had a great conversation, and, and, and it, it got to the point where how come the Yankees play so much better when Judge is around? Because he gives them spirit. He lifts them. He makes every player think he's better. So as a coach, you know what that's all about. You have to have that confidence. So my point is these these nerds with, you know, the signing of Severino, the signing of, you know, Severino came off a um, – what was he? It was 19 and 8 uh, one year, and that's when they gave him the big contract. And since then, his numbers have uh, – it's almost a joke. He can't be as bad as he's been. 
Um, you know, uh, it, it's like, uh, you know, he's like 11 and nine with a 4.36 or something like that. 177 innings, you know, tons of base runners, 231 base runners. And uh, again, the, uh, the red flags went up back then. Back then I was saying he was going to have physical problems. And we've talked to enough people like Jim Colonel and other people like, uh, uh, that we've had on our shows. They don't see the mechanics of the game anymore. All they can read, all they can do is see what was done in the past. They have no projection ideas. And that's the problem with baseball now. Every, I made a joke in my one of my columns this week about uh, so-and-so, whatever team I mentioned, being in the race. But then I said, isn't everybody in the wild card race? Because yeah. they all stink. So by now repurposing, and I'm using Billy's words, what is Billy going to get out of this? Billy's going to get another five years of, oh, our, our prospects are coming. Baby Acuna is coming, you know. And meanwhile, he had all the resources in the world, and he goes out and signs guys who are out of shape, uh, don't play their position well, don't have the mental fortitude to be leaders, um, uh, keeps guys in the minors who should be up. Uh, everything, he, he checks off every box of what's wrong. So that's, that's just my uh, opening salvo. Yeah, no, it's the word. The words that he used, I cringed too because I thought the same thing. Real estate. And you're smart. You understand those words. I'm just a regular baseball guy, <laughs> uh, writer, uh, average guy, you know. And uh, uh, but yeah, so if you're cringing, wow, it's a syndrome too because even our scouts on the show talk about how when they read scouting reports now, it's more like a medical report. The scap load, the hip placement, the it's no longer a baseball report. So it's it's a syndrome that's going across the landscape. And it's going, it's the same thing in our country too. When, when, when you try to you get, try to get a straight answer from people, you can't get straight. I want straight answers from people. You can't get that anymore. And that's the one thing I will say I, I enjoy. I love what I do now and with this and writing for Bull Nine and stuff. But I do miss being in the fight of being in that press conference and asking a tough question, having the BS answer and then me firing back. What do you mean? What are you talking about? You know, we don't hear any of that anymore. It's like it's like uh, trained monkeys just uh, writing down things now. Yeah, no, no different than the the for most of the commentators that are calling the games too. They're glorified cheerleaders to make us all think that the right stuff's going on, and it's it's certainly not by any means. Did um, the Yankees just? You know, you you mentioned the the excitement when a new guy comes into the clubhouse. I was surprised, and, and Judge's presence amazed me. I didn't understand the statistics of when he mm-hmm. left the Yankees as to what happened when he was gone. The numbers are startling, not just the record, but the runs per game. And as you mentioned, that the stuff that people, the analytics people decide that they it's, you can't measure, or it's not measurable, it doesn't make sense, is the, the camaraderie, the cohesiveness, that locker room uh, part. They di- totally discard that. That was in the movie Moneyball. It was one of the most pronounced things in the movie, that that stuff doesn't matter. Um, I was also surprised at Harrison Bader. I love his game. I think he's you know spark plug. I, I don't like the muscle-bound approach. I think it leads to injury. But um, when him and Judge are in the, in the lineup, specifically Judge, the Yankees have a whole different beat to their drum. Absolutely. And, and, um, and Bader, I think Bader – Bader has a tendency to be a little bit more look at me, you know, kind of guy. That's that's his personality. And it works. You know, he, he was don't forget, he was teammates for, at Florida State with Pete Alonzo and they got along good. Bader is a guy that you, Bader needs a judge or an Alonzo to help guide him to be a better player. When they're not around, he's not as good. And again, that's all the little pieces that fit together that baseball people see. 
none of the things that the nerds see. They don't see any of this. They just look at numbers. They don't understand things. And the one thing about, uh, but Bader is not the leader that judges. And that, and that's the difference. If you go around the, the horn with the Yankees, um, and we'll do it real quick, but I spoke to some baseball people about this this week. This is the essential problem because the question is, how could they be so bad without just one guy? And I know it's Judge and it's like losing Otani, same type of thing. But let's go around the horn. Rizzo's trying to hang on. His career's, you know, he, he can't hit home runs. He's obviously got something going on with his back. Glaber's in his own world. Hits a ball the other night, last night, off the wall in that, you know, in, in Death Valley of uh, Camden Yards. High off the wall, bounces past the left fielder. Center fielder has to run over, and he just get, he barely glides into second for a double because he's 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 posing. He should be on third. They're losing the game. Let's get some energy. But that's Glaber world. So he's not a leader. The kid Volpe is just trying to uh, hold on. He's trying to he's trying to establish himself. Still swings from his butt way too much. I just don't get it. I mean, somebody needs to have a serious talk with him. I hear he's a great kid. Well, let's prove it by being a great kid. But let's start, you know, drag bonding, do some things, hit the ball the other way all the time. He looks you know, so confused up there, Kevin. He looks like he doesn't have an identity anymore. He, that's a great point, Dave. That's a great that's a great coaching point. He doesn't have an identity. If I'm the Yankees, how do you not bring in Derek G to spend a weekend with this guy? Oh, my God, yeah. You know, and um, third base, Donaldson, you know, forget it, done. Said he's been done for two year, a year or two. And whoever they bring up and play there. IKF is a great little utility player. Uh, one of those guys they didn't want, but he turns out he's better than half the guys they want, you know, but he's, he's not a leader. Again, he's just doing the best he can. Left fielder, it's all over the place. Jake Bowers, whoever, guy's trying to survive. Center field, Bader, who's, you know, he, he's Bader. He, he's good, but he's not a leader. Right field, Stanton, the beach beach body guy. Yeah, He only cares about the beach body and home runs and hitting the ball hard and not a bad guy. Like, he's fun for a clubhouse. But you're not going to get any energy out. So I just went on a whole horn. There's no chance for leadership there. So the nerds don't see any of that. Thank God they signed Judge back. And that's what I said from day one. You know it from the shows. Yeah. They don't sign Judge. They were going to be the worst team in baseball. They would have been the worst team in baseball. And and I feel for Judge in a way. I I know the captaincy is a big thing, and I get it. And I think that's why he came back. But I would have loved to see Judge in San Diego, or uh, and I spent time in San Diego. San Francisco might have been a little different, but he would have been good for them. Uh, but but you can see he's the heart and soul of that team, the Yankee team. And then uh, here's another thing, Dave. I know he's coming back from the toe and the ligament, and, it's, and they're saying he's just got to tolerate it. Why does he not play yesterday? And then they gave him a bat. You could see if the game was close, they would have they would have used him as a. a, a that's a big game. They got to win. But yeah. It, Again, the nerds, load management, every aspect of the game they can ruin, they've ruined it. And they've ruined it for the fan. And uh, uh, so, so that's the Yankee story. Um, it's, it's not going to get any better in my book. The Yankees should be out there making a big trade. The Yankees should be bringing in a Scherzer or, uh, you know, um, a Montgomery, who they traded for, for um, Bader uh, or, you know, but but they don't they don't do it and they don't let their horses ride. That's the other thing they don't do. You know, uh, Derek Cole should be leading the league in complete games. It's it should be no no question about it. You know, and and they won't let him do it. And then uh, so 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 they spend their money poorly. 
they're, they're, they're like three and a half out of the wild card, which is a joke. Like I said, everybody's in the wild card. The, I'm, the Angels are right behind them. I, I'd like to see the Angels, the Angels, uh, you know, make make another move. They made some trades. I'd love to see. Uh, here's what I'd love to see. I, I would love to see. Uh, I I think the Mets are going to trade Verlander because. And let me get to this point too, real quick about Scherzer. Once Scherzer made those comments, like, what are we basically saying? What are we doing? I got to go talk to management. You knew he was gone. You knew he was gone. And he's not the same Scherzer. We, we've talked about it. He needs to throw his curveball more. Um, his slider, he relies way too much on the slider. Uh, he doesn't have the fastball he once had. So curveball, maybe change up, change who you are. He's going back to Mike Maddox, who I know very well. I knew Mike as a player and a coach. So I think he'll get it straightened out as much as they can down in Texas. He give, And plus, they're not paying full, full bolt. You know, Steve Cohen's paying for all these teams. Players across the baseball now. Yeah. You know, it's hilarious. What's he and paying? 32, he paid $32 million for Scherzer not to play for him. Yeah. yeah. It's unbelievable. It's up, you can't even make this up. And uh, uh, and this is a guy who came in, and I said it at the time, oh, we're going to win a World Series. I'd like to win it in three to five. Oh, you, you know what? Just shut up. Shut, you're a rich guy. You can do whatever you, whatever you want. You're Mitch the Hedge, hedge Fund. You know, you buy all the art art and everything. Baseball's a different world, and now you're learning it. Now you're learning it the hard way. And I, I tell you, I'm reveling in it in some degree because uh, um, it just puts him in his place. Um, and, and now Verlander, I, I got to think Verlander's got to get out of town too. The, the difference with Verlander, he's, he has that, 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 that thing that kicks in next year if he throws 140 innings, it's $35 million for the following year, 2025. So, so. So it's um, it's a crazy kind. It's, it's a harder contract to repurpose in yeah. Billy's words. So, but I would love to see um, I would love to see him wind up either in San Diego because he loves New York. Verlander's one of those guys know him well. He loves being in the experience of you know when you're a millionaire living in New York. New York's a great place, and uh, you know he, he, so he loves living there. So I think he's really stunned by this, but he needs to get to a place, you know. Uh, I, I would love to see Toronto try to pick him up or, or if not the Padres, maybe he, this would be the move. They won't make this move, the Mets, because unless they're totally insane. But I'd love to see Verlander go back to his original GM, Dave Dombrowski with the Phillies. That would oh. be something. That would be something. And yeah, they, the could, they could use a lift there. I like they the point you it. made with, with uh, going back to, to Scherzer heading to, Texas to be reunited with with Maddox. I think he, that's Maddox was his pitching coach in Washington, correct? Correct. And yeah, yeah so and I think that, maybe that'll help him get back to the pitcher or get to the pitcher, as you mentioned, throwing that breaking ball a little bit more and see Scherzer kind of go out on a high note here. But yeah, it's it's depressing to watch. Well, again, you brought it up when when Cohen came on board. He like all the guys that are finance guys and analytics guys, they think players are dividends. You can break their bodies up into different parts and. You can look at numbers yesterday to predict today, and you can grow incrementally over five years. And uh, baseball doesn't work that way, uh, as he's finding out uh, the hard yeah, way. Yeah, I want to make it clear too, uh, Dave, that this is not—I'm just not jumping on them now because they're because they are who they are. You know, I wrote many columns, probably too many, about the Mets, but they were so fascinating because they were so w- weird. And I wrote the floor guys column way back in being in the year, all their issues. Uh, the Oliver, you know, the uh, uh, another fine mess, you know, uh, Laurel Hardy and uh, Oliver uh, column, and that's what they've become. So, so it's so e- it's obvious to see this. I don't understand why baseball people can't see this. 
And and I think if um, – and, and the other thing with Scherzer is, you know, the Mets got him for the postseason. He had that one start, you know, seven runs. So, so this guy's got a lot to prove. You know, he's got all the money in the world. He's very savvy, very smart, probably a little bit too smart. He probably analyzes himself too much a little bit. Um, he, he, he needs to have a pitching coach who says, no, do this. And I think that's why this is a good move. And I know you, you know, you coach all your teams and stuff like that. But with your pitching, when you're pitching, uh, you know, when you're pitching, coaching, basically, what, what's your basic philosophy with these guys? Uh, and of course, we're talking kids, but it's the same deal. I don't care what you say. It's still baseball. Yeah, I just think, and again, a disclosure audience knows I, I was a on the other side of the ball as a, as a second baseman. But um, yeah, even as a college coach, I, I like to coach my pitchers because that's where the game was at. And keep it simple. I mean, a well-located fastball to me is still the best pitch in baseball. And, that's what Tom Glavin told me many years ago. That's yeah, what he learned after his rookie year when he lost 17 games. He did a lot of research, talked to hitters, and he learned that well-located fastball in the outer half is, is the way to go. Yeah. And I think with the with the young kids, I think it's, you know, location first. And one of the points we try to make with them is we want them hitting, hitting that spot eight out of ten times. Um, and the biggest issue with young kids, and I see, I see it with this chasing velocity generation that's flooded the major league market, too. Mm. These guys open up way too early because they're trying to generate. And Jim Rooney and I talked about it last week, and we wrote about it on Facebook a little bit back and forth. But you know, when they're when they're in that strike position, when they're landing, their bodies are already open, and that's that's a that's a problem. Um, you'll see it. That's an injury problem as well. Injury and location because they're putting the emphasis on the wrong parts of the body, and I think that's that's one of the other things. So well located fastballs, we try to uh, get with the kids. Uh, We try to. I try not to cookie cutter them. Um, kids learn a different way from each other. They socialize differently because we try to do bullpens together so they can watch each other and they can communicate. But they all learn a different way and they socialize. I try to learn that before I start imposing mechanical things. But the real basic stuff is, you know, well-located fastball. And one of the things that we use to help them get their balance, rhythm, and timing um, is have them take ground balls from the infield and get into a crow hop. And then I'll take that crow hop right to the mound. That's a Rick Peterson thing. I, I, I've been with Rick when he's, he's done that. It's uh, it just, it, it helps him find it's, it's like, you know, like how do you teach a good racehorse to run? You let him run. And mm-hmm. how do you teach a kid how to throw? I mean, get him away from his, his throwing coach and get him into, you know, just get back to being a kid throwing the baseball the right way. And the hip, the front hip and the front shoulder are their directions. And I think once they, lose the rest of the craziness that's been crammed in their head and they realize that applies to the mound as well to the field. They locate that front hip and shoulder. Then things start to flow. But yeah, the well-located fastball, we work with location. Um, we work as they get the fastball down, we'll, we'll, we'll get them into a two seam and a four seam. So they're working fast, but also a change up, um, a little bit of a change of speeds never hurt. Uh, but they, they, we, we try to teach them how to move the hitter's feet too. Once now, again, this is, after they get the direction and the balance rhythm and timing and location with our catchers, because today's hitters youth all the way up to big leagues. I mean, you see them, they get in there, they start digging that back foot in and that's an indicator to our catchers right away. We've got this guy. Let's move his feet. Um, you know, let's, let's knock him off the plate a little bit in a good way. Um, let's raise his posture. You know, he's all hitters have a posture. They like to get to their, their launch point with let's raise his posture. So I'll actually have our hitters stand in the box 
tracking baseballs while our pitchers are throwing because it's good for them too. It teaches them how to track properly. Of course, tracking uh, is huge. Yeah. And I don't see that anymore. And it's, it, you know, with young pitchers that are throwing hard, I guess it can be a little dangerous, but slap a helmet on them, put, God, put catcher's gear on them if you want. But uh, I even stand in there and we don't have a hitter. That way they get a visual. And I'm 50 years old. If I get hit, I get hit. But, uh, you know, but these kids, uh, that well-located fastball is huge for them. And understanding direction because they're so caught up in that torque trying to, jack the, the velocity up that it places undue stresses on elbow, all those, all those things that should be like when you go into a restaurant and you pay the bill, your body's the bill. It's not your elbow and your rotator. And that's when they start twerking their body, they, they make the, uh, the major portion of the bill on those little ligaments and muscles that shouldn't be a part of it. That's supposed to be the finisher. That's the tip, so to speak. So and that's how you get your injuries. Yeah. They do, but they've been indoctrinated. It's a similar thing we're talking about. They've been indoctrinated in order to climb the ladder in baseball, in order to play on your travel ball team, your high school team, your college team. And I even get college coaches ask me, first thing is, hey, what, what's uh, miles per hour? What's their exit velo hitting? First thing they say, yep. Yeah, they, they've been indoctrinated too. It's uh, it's unfortunate. Well, I say, you know, bringing it back to real life, it's like taking your shoes off at the airport. Yeah. You know, you know. One nut job or whoever was whoever that was set up with uh, way back when, a shoe bomb supposedly, and now you know forever we're taking our shoes off at the airport. It's a yeah basic overreaction to something that has a probably a very simple solution to it. But uh, yeah, that's that's how we work with the pitching. And I tell the kids, you're your best pitching coach. That your arm is your arm. It's not my arm. It's not your throwing coach's arm. It's not anybody's arm but yours. And if you feel like we can throw. 30 pitches properly, then we'll throw 30. If you need to extend beyond 45 to 60, I don't hold them back. But once their mechanics start breaking down, um, if I've got to constantly repeat over and over, then I recognize in their bodies that, okay, we've hit our limit right now. Let's see if we can find a way, eight to 10 pitches, just like in a game, and then let's let's shut it down. But Well, our friend Will George, was he he told me last week he was at a, and I'm sure he told you the same thing, Um, he was at a game, I think it was double A, and there were 22 walks, 22 walks in a major league game. Yeah. Are you kidding me? Yeah. I mean, a minor league game, but a professional game. That's what I'm saying. A high level professional game, 22 walks. No penalty. How can that happen these days? How can that happen? One, one of our rules too, and I, we, we, and again, we have tried to minimize the rules, but we want to throw early strikes, but we also, we don't want to walk guys when there's nobody on base. We, we certainly don't want to walk them when there's guys on base. Sometimes it sets up a double play, but that sets a general rule up to the kids that, we want to challenge guys. We don't. We're not looking to be. We're not looking to miss bats. I actually well, want you to hit bats. I want to interject here because I think that's yeah. a fantastic point, and and that's what we try to teach people here with our shows and and, and the the man. You know, the, the the Red Sox had that phrase in two thousand four when they came back. You know, cowboy up. Yeah. Well, I have a new phrase now. I thought of it last night watching the Yankees Orioles. Kramer's got a seven nothing lead. And he's throwing a three-two breaking ball to Greg Allen and yeah. walks with a man on base. Man up, man up! Again, throw a well-located fastball challenge. I don't even care if you throw a fastball right in the middle. It's Greg Allen. You got a seven-run lead, and and he didn't make it through the fifth inning. You know when they had when his team scored nine in the old days, and not too long ago. Someone would have gotten his grill. Someone with an Orioles uniform uh, would have gotten his grill, whether in the in, in the dugout or whatever. Would have came out in the, in the meeting. Um, 
you know, and, and he, it was kind of like an Eric Shaw moment. You know, I covered Eric Shaw and Dobson used to always get in his face. We can't worry about hurting these guys' feelings. They're professional pitchers, most of them making millions of dollars or will make millions of dollars, throw strikes. We're out here with a nine run. If I'm, if I'm playing first base for that team, I go over to him and say, hey, what the hell are you doing? We're up seven runs. Let's challenge some people. But again, everybody wants to be, you know, friends with everybody. And this is where we're at. And it, it's really sad. One other Oriole point. I'm watching a game uh, last week, I think it was. And this kid, this uh, Japanese pitcher comes in, Fujinami. And I, I got to be honest, I didn't know anything about him when he was with the A's. I never watched the A's. I don't waste my time watching the A's. They're not a major league team. Why would I watch the A's? I basically haven't watched them since Moneyball. So I knew nothing about him with the A's. But I'm watching him throw, and my God, he's you know he's got a splitter, he's got a fast, and I and I me, me being me, I'm I'm just sitting there. It was raining in Florida, so I was watching the game, and I I, I tweet out uh, uh, this guy Fujinami really impresses me. I've only seen three hitters, but man, what stuff! And of course, you get the wise asses always oh, going. Yeah, what impresses me is his eight six five ERA. That's a typical nerd comment coming from a fan who who probably is a nerd fan. Uh, it might even be a GM. Could have been a GM. You know, yeah. could have been a GM. Um, and I, I fired back at him. Like, I'm looking at the stuff and where he's going and the fact that he was a starter and now he's changing over. These guys can't project fans or or front office. Matter of fact, you know I love to use, uh, you know, like initials for things. I'm going to start using NCP, which means nerds can't project. They can't right. project anything about baseball. So, and Fujinami came in last night and was lights out again. Yes, he was. That, that's, I give the, I give the Orioles credit. That's, that's a great little pickup. Uh, and one other thing bugged me about the game, and I mentioned it with ESPN, you know, they do the interviews with everybody and okay, I get it. You got, you want to, you want to bring it back. And, uh, uh, but they had Batista on. They had Batista on for a whole inning. You think at some point in the interview process, somebody from ESPN might've done their homework and might've said, you know what? What did Dan Duquette seeing you? He's the one who signed you. But they were so busy kissing Michael Elias' butt about what a great job he's done in Baltimore. You know, yeah, he's done a great job. He's he lost a lot of games and he picked Adley Rushman. That's you know, I could have done that. And uh, you know, but there were some other good draft picks. He he's a good draft, I'll give him that. And um but why don't you give credit where credit is due? You know, he he was released by the Marlins and Dan Duquette picked him up. So this, but Dan Duquette is not in the nerd family, so he doesn't get the praise. Yeah, uh, yeah. I remember. Dan's a little bit of a nerd, to be honest. I know him well. <laughs> yeah, I that game last night, the Yankee Oriole game. We have a we had a text stream with our group, so our one on one group. So that was the game. We kind of kids will watch it. We're all watching it together. Um, the one time that I will endorse either cell phones or iPads so we can communicate. Oh, that's a good idea. It gets and, the kids locked into a game. And we talk the game and we shut the volume down. Um, on the That's game. And good. so it's the situation you mentioned where the Orioles are up seven, nothing, two points came out and these are kids talking and the parents are with them too. Cause I want the parents to start getting educated as well. But the, um, you know, they were talking about, okay. So my question was, so what should be his mentality when he takes the mound right now? And just as you said, throw strikes, challenge hitters, he's got a seven. It's not that hard. Make believe the game's nothing, nothing. Yeah. yeah. And just, just go after him, get better. You know, a lot of good, good thoughts. And then when he started breaking stuff off, I couldn't remember the hitter. You brought up Greg Allen, but he was spinning out of control. He was, oh. I mean, it was, it was, it was, uh, it was a good point for the kids to see. So we're, 
we're not going to change. I mean, we're, we're trying to change the world one player at a time here with this podcast and coaches and whatnot, but that's kind of how we do with our group. The other point that the kids brought up was that the Orioles didn't look like they were obsessed with launch angle during this series, that they were well, hit the, line I, I got to give, give Elias credit there for that. That's, uh, that's a great point. Um, he's got his team not thinking launch angle. And, of course, they made the ridiculous left field, which I get, but that you're not going to attract hitters. But the good thing for the Orioles is they have young hitters. So they're there anyway, so they got to figure it out. And the only way to figure it out is hit the ball all fields. Yeah, that was it. They, they, they were spraying it all over. And the, one of the kids phrase, he goes, they're being boring. And I said, elaborate. And he's like, just like we talk about in batting practice, let's be boring today. Let's hit line drives up the middle and, and in the gaps. So, and meanwhile, I love watching a player like Gunnar Henderson, you know, score from second on a ball that a lot of Yankees wouldn't have scored from second. You know how long it takes Stanton to score from second nowadays? Four more years of this. Um, yeah. You know, and, and poor Judge now because of the toe, he won't be able He's running in Stanton speed, basically. Uh, Vogelback speed, I call it, too. You know, it's uh, – <laughs> You know, it's it, it, again, don't these people see that? I mean, judge, you, you can't help it because of the, um, uh, you know, because of the injury. And everybody knows what a big judge fan I am because he plays the game right, has great parents, raised right, doing everything right, played multiple sports. Um, but when he's limited now, unfortunately, he takes away one of his big, big um, assets. That's the other thing players have to learn. Uh, they have to learn where their assets are and improve them. And I predicted it early in the year. I said the new stealing base rule will eventually hurt Judge because he's going to try to slide head first and he's going to do something. And that's what happened. He hurt his hip. You remember on the awkward slide? Yeah. Kids, I don't know what you teach, Dave. Tell me, tell me if I'm wrong here. Slide feet first, please. Yeah. You're not. Pete Rose landed on his chest. It was a different deal, different era. He didn't care. He, he was into that. You know, if you slide like Pete Rose, okay, you can do it. But this whole sliding hand first drives me insane. I, I'm, I'm with you 100%. We don't do the head first. Um, you know, every now and then it's an emergency. And usually that's that elite athlete where it's just a reaction that they, they feel like they've got to find a way. But there's so many other ways to slide um, with your feet where you can hook, you can slide past the bag and actually use your hands to touch it. And actually, when was, it was the look- last hook slide you saw? Yeah. You know? Oh, and uh, 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 Trey, Trey Turner. Two years ago, did it at home plate, um, and that—that's the last, That's probably the only one I've seen in the last three years with him. He he got by the catcher and and uh, stayed out of well because they don't have collisions anymore at the plate. But um, yeah, well, again, man up. They've taken the manliness has been taken out of baseball, you know, in, in so many ways. And I think that's that's one of the things the marketing people don't understand. We like we like a game where there's some manliness in it. That's why we like sports, you know. Yeah. And that's why football is still football. I mean, I watched the uh, 30 for 30 with the Bill and Bill. Bill oh, Parcells, yeah. Bill Paul. It's, it's, that's to me, great. that's one of the great, and I, I'm going to give ESPN credit, that's one of the greatest 30 for 30s of all time, getting into those guys' heads and how they figured it out. And 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 like Parcells said, I had no time to be nice to these guys. I needed them to, you know, I needed to fire them up any way I could. And that used to be what was great. And again, I'm going to segue now to my, my – um, my don't blame Bartman story. Uh, people should read it at ball nine. Cause again, I look ahead, even though I'm 70 years old, I still think pretty quick. Thank God. Thank God. You know, he, he's allowed me to do all this for so many years and still write, but I like to look at anniversaries and this is the 20th anniversary, Dave of Bartman. I didn't realize until I read your article. I, I that was uh, yeah. great. Yeah. Article. It's amazing how time flies. So, 
So I'm watching a game the other day, and I, I don't watch many games, but the games I watch, something always interesting pops up. So Cabrera, Miguel Cabrera singles, and all of a sudden they go, uh, well, he, next on the list for Miguel Cabrera is Tony Gwynn. I said, wow, that's interesting. Because the way my mind works, and this is where historical perspective is important for, for newspapers and, and um, websites to have, and they don't have anymore. Because for the most part, there's still some great writers out there. Don't, don't get me wrong. But um, but my I immediately clicked to, wow, that's interesting, because Jack McKean insisted, I know for a fact, insisted, had to fight the nerds even back then in 2003. They wanted to keep 20-year-old Miguel Cabrera in the minor leagues, and Jack went to war over that, got him up in the minors. And long story, they, they, um, they uh, won their World Series, haven't won one since. Way back in 1981, Jack McKean insisted and fought fought those who didn't want to pick him, uh, and he made he made Tony Gwynn the third round draft pick of uh, of, of the of, of the Padres, and he listened to them first for the first two. McReynolds was a good pick, no no problem there. But Bill Long, the pitcher, was the second round pick, and finally Jack said after that because he had never seen Bill Long, and his scouting people said, you know what, he had two guys that had seen both, and they both went with Bill Long. But again, here's the key, Dave. This is about doing your homework and getting things in. This is one of, to me, it's one of the greatest baseball stories of all time. Jack McKean is uh, every year, and I was there. The, the 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 Padres would play San Diego State for for Coach Dietz to raise money. They would have a game at 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 Jack Murphy, and they would play each other. Well, McKean's watching the game. It's the it's the preseason. It's right before the regular season. Gets the gets the, the team in there with a whole. Uh, okay, this is we're going to be playing at Jack Murphy. Here's a game to get us all. So this kid comes up, and it's Tony Gwynn. He doubles off Eichelberg, and then he triples later in the game. And after the double, Jack is sitting with the AD, um, um, and he goes, who's that kid? Who's that guy? Oh, that's Tony Gwynn. He's a basketball player. And Jack had seen 15 games that year of San Diego State because he lived near the campus where they played, and he never saw Tony. So that's how Jack, Jack McKean saw him bat twice. And made that pick for a third round pick and wanted to be a second round pick, you know, and, and picked him out of nowhere just by seeing his at bats against the major league pitchers as a college kid. The other scouts, for the most part, went to San Diego State early in the year because it was warmer there than it was in a lot of places. And and, and Tony was still playing basketball. So you get and, and Cabrera, same thing. Jack went to the meetings, and Larry Beinfest, the GM, is saying in, in uh, 2003, no, no, he needs another year. we got to get him to AAA. we got to do, you know, what they do now, you know, they just move these kids along so slow. It drives me insane. You know, if you can't play, you send them back. Nobody's hurt. But, again, nobody wants to hurt anybody's feelings. So Jack says, there's no way. So he, he calls him up. He gets a home run the first game, wins the first game. We get all – let's go fast forward to Bartman. The ball drops. Um, um they, they get a single, they score a run, uh, man, uh, you know, basically a double play situation. Who gets up? Cabrera hits that ground at a shortstop. Alex Gonzalez boots it, and that's the big play because then they score eight runs in the inning, and they go on to score nine runs the next game. And, and what happens? Everybody blames Bartman. So so even Jack, I had Jack quoted. I talked to him on Saturday. He said, don't blame Bartman. He says, uh, you know, it wasn't Bartman's fault. And, and he was in the dugout. He saw the whole thing. He's, he said that was basically a 50-50 ball. Any fan could have went after that ball. So it's just funny how things work out. 
and how a guy like Jack McKean at the age of 93 is, I'm, I'm saying this right now on the record, he's sharper and better, I would say, than probably three quarters of the GM still in the game right now. Yeah, and he, he would be a great person to have as a resource with one of these clubs to help him get out, particularly the Yankees, help him get out of the this analytics rut and start using some common sense. Well, Rizzo uses them in um, two thousand and in two thousand nineteen. Rizzo hired him with the Nationals, and the story behind the story was Jack had a serious talk with uh, Dave Martinez in two thousand nineteen about manning up. Basically, that's my theme to that. And um, and and Davey Martinez got a little tougher as a manager. And of course, they, they, and what did they do? Stuff you just talked about. They sprayed the ball all over the field. They did everything they had to do. Scherzer, Strasburg, all those guys uh, did their thing, and they won a World Series. Um, and now they've had to regroup because they had to sell it off because of ownership, and that happens. Um, uh, but but it's still the same game. And in 2003, when Jack took over, he, his very first meeting, he's, he's got the whole team there. He's got Jeffrey Laurie in the meeting. And I like Laurie. I know most people think don't like Laurie, but I thought he was – I liked him as an owner. Um, first of all, he had the guts to hire McKean at 73. Second of all, so Jack goes to the meeting and says, hey, my job and our job as a team is to get this train going north. If you don't want to go north with the train, there's the door. That's the first thing he said to his team. He basically put them on notice. You think that could ever happen today in the major leagues? Oh, it'd be, oh my God, I could just see the welling and gnashing of teeth and the and the stories and oh my God, how how mean the manager was to these guys. So that's how Jack McKeon, uh, you know, took a, ba- a bad team. They were sixteen and something under Torborg, and they they went and won the whole thing. They beat. And there's another amazing thing about that story. They were the wild card. There was only one wild card back then. They beat the Giants, who won a hundred games and had Barry Bonds, you know, with twelve, uh, you know, twelve hundred OPS. Um, they beat, then they beat the Cubs, and then of course they beat Joe Torre's Yankees. So he beat in the postseason, you know, you know he he, he beat Felipe Lou, he beat Dusty Baker, and then he beat Joe Torre. You know, so that's some managing uh, icons right there, and uh, you know that's the way it used to be. One final point on that because it's twenty years, and I want to get it out. Game six comes around. Beckett is uh, on three days rest. People come into Jack's office before the game, and I was there. I know it. I was in the in the clubhouse. Um, uh, they want him to start Josh Beckett. Sit him back a day. Let's hold him in reserve for insurance if we have to play game seven. And Jack blew a gasket and said, "No, we're starting him in game three. I mean, game six on three days rest. If we don't win game six, we're not going to win game seven at Yankee Stadium. So we have to win this game." And he, and he shut, Becky came out with just dynamite through a shutout. I think they won 2 nothing, And that's, he manned up. And uh, McKean manned up. Uh, Josh Beckett manned up. And that's what you got. Yeah. I like, I like the theme man up because it kind of, but it's, it's been across what we talked about today unintentionally. But you, you've been around, obviously, you've been immersed in, in professional sports. You were a college, a very good college player. And you've, you know, you've got tons of college contacts too. But, you're you're seeing some of the grassroots stuff now, following your grandchildren and whatnot. But um, I mean, it, it, we're we're seeing this stuff trickle. I guess I guess flow upwards. These these men now that are in professional baseball, whether they're management or players or managers, 
are being groomed in this grassroots setting to not be tough, to not um, mm-hmm. be challenged. Because if you get challenged, what do you do? You go quit and join another team or your parents write a exactly. Facebook post or something like that. So that's it's a- why. No, I, I, you, you're definitely onto something. Uh, even my grandson, Jack, you know, he, he kind of raised, he had to play, he's playing for a higher level team this year and it's up to him. You know, you know, you know, that's the bottom line, parents. It's up to your kid. It's not up to you. And and we've all been there. We've all made mistakes. We've all wanted our kids to do well. Maybe we did, did done certain things. And I've done it with three, you know, three kids, including a daughter who, you know, was a very good softball player, played college softball, home run hitter, big time player. Uh, my other kids played D1 D and D2. And, and um, you've got to let the kid – it's got to be important to the kids. And that's what I love what you're doing with the uh, little – you know, the little texting using modern day techniques to get the kids involved in understanding the game. Because the big thing I'm seeing at the grassroots level, and I think this is your question, I'm seeing kids that don't understand the game, no matter what level they're playing for. They could be playing for really good coaches and they still screw it up. You know, they, they won't tag up on a fly ball to the outfield. They get caught halfway. Uh, you know, uh, uh, certain areas, situations of the game, you got to be looking for something. They, they don't anticipate the game like we once did. And, 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 and I think I learned anticipation of the game simply by going to the 16th street playground in Kenilworth, New Jersey, growing up, whoever showed up at the playground that day, we divided up into teams. And usually we had enough for three teams that that itself is different. We had enough for three teams, certainly two from the neighborhood, from the, from the town. And, we figured it out. We umpired. We figured out the rules. Like if we didn't have enough guys, you, you couldn't hit it to a certain field. Um, we made the calls. We anticipated the next play. And here's the key. In order to play the next game, you had to win that game. It was much yes. like being on a basketball court. So, so that's part of what's been lost by mommy and daddy doing everything for their kids nowadays. That's, that's the point I was, was wanting to get to the, the winning. So, you know, people understand my, my park was Memorial Park. We had we had baseball fields galore um, that were park fields. We could use them all day. There was no locks on them. There was no adults didn't have to be there. We had two full court basketball courts that part of the town and just showed up and played. But when there's like you said, when there's enough for three, four, five, six teams and there's a line at half court or a line at the fence, if you lose you go to the back of that line and you may not play again for 30 minutes. And that, no, that you, hurts. You, you know what you do? You go to the corner store and buy, you know, buy an ice cream or, or buy a pack of baseball cards. <laughs> well, we used to get a loaf of Italian bread and cut out the, pick out the <laughs> middle. Um, we, uh, but when, with the kids nowadays, overcoached, undertaught, they go to these tournaments instead. That's a great time. Wait, say that again, Dave. That's a great term. They're, they're overcoached and undertaught. They have far more coaches and people around them than we did as kids. But for some reason, you know, your generation, my generation, we were able to, to pick it up more and know the nuances. And, you know, the, the winning that these kids experience now is not the same winning that you and I are talking about, where if you if you lose, it hurt because not only did you lose against people you knew, but they rubbed it in. You went to the back of the line and waiting there, standing and watching was more painful than anything else. And then you picked your teams appropriately. You made sure whether it was basketball, the best guys were getting the shots in baseball, the lineup was set up where the best people were playing in the right spots. It wasn't somebody's kid playing somewhere. A meritocracy. You, you're yeah. talking about a meritocracy. The ultimate meritocracy. And we, um, the way they're governed now is 
they'll go to a tournament and our, our showing up at the park wasn't called anything. It happened Monday through Sunday. And, you know, you nowadays you go to a tournament, same fields run by a different group every weekend. It's the same five teams. It's called the Global Challenge this week, the International Showcase, the World Series, the All-American this. And they will play the same five teams. But on Facebook, it looks like they just beat Cuba, the Dominican, Puerto Rico, like they won this World Challenge. And it's it's the same group of teams and everybody get a ring. Everybody gets a picture with a banner. They were the gold champion, the silver, the platinum. By the way, that's the stupidest thing in the world, getting oh, rings. It's nuts. It's, uh, no. But it, it justifies. A lot of them. You know, it's a waste of time, waste of money. And uh, that's one of the reasons why I read our grandson. We got him playing an academia program because they, they, they play different competitions. And, and uh, you know, it's, it's a meritocracy. And, um, and you learn things. And if you don't learn things, then you go play, uh, you go play soccer. Yeah, that's uh, we uh, we kind of work with our parents to help them understand that a little bit to say, hey, we're, we're going to go to events. We're not going to travel over God's creation. We're going to stay close. I don't want to travel with 14 year olds all over the world. We can play enough talent around here, but we're going to invite different talent in. And our main goal is to expose weaknesses. We've got to be tough enough to identify weaknesses as parents and kids. And if you finish in fourth in the tournament, you scrap to finish fourth. If you, and we identify why, what caused us, where's that gap, and then we work on it in practice. And it's that, that constant, hey, you identify mistakes, you keep moving forward, eventually you're going to get what you want or get closer to it. If you're resilient, it's a war of attrition. And I think what we're seeing in Major League Baseball right now, you talk about the Dave Roberts toughening up a little bit. I don't oh, think – Dave Martinez. Dave Martinez, Martinez, I'm sorry. Dave Martinez, um, through, through Jack McKeon's tutelage, the – they don't have the players that they're coaching don't have the muscles to do that. And I think sometimes these managers and management didn't climb the ladder because of it. they climbed through maybe sticking their head in the sand a little bit and not challenging people. Aaron Boone is a perfect example. What yes. can Aaron Boone do to deserve to, be, to manage the New York Yankees? Uh, Again, I'll, I'm willing to give anybody a chance. So he gets the job. I'll see how it goes. But when I saw Tor- Glaber hit that ball last night, nobody say a word to him. Boone sitting in the corner, getting ready to yell at umpire because it's a tra- it's a transference of anger. That's why he yells at umpire so much. Deep down, he knows what's wrong and what's right. He's Aaron Boone. He's grew up in a baseball organization, but he's been told by the Yankees not to pick on these guys, you know. Uh, and certainly, you don't want to hurt Glaber's feelings right now. Even though Glaber could be, Glaber could be the second best player on the Yankees, and he probably is now numbers wise if you look at it. But he could be so much more. That kid's got a world of talent. And he, well, I remember when he came up, Dave, he was a tough kid. I remember talking to him. He was a Venezuelan kid. And, and he, he I, I came away super impressed. Like, wow, this guy knows the game. He's tough-minded. He, he's got goals, team goals. He had team goals back then. And I've seen it all uh, wash away because of uh, how they've used him. And, and they've created they've created his ineffectiveness. And uh and, and that's what they do. And um, th- that, that's why with managers nowadays, uh, one other point I want to make of Billy Epler, I wrote this out as a note and I forgot to get to it. Billy Epler has now failed with Mike Socia as manager, Joe Madden as a manager, Buck Showalter as a manager. I don't, I don't know how many wins they have, but that's a damn lot of wins. Yeah. And, and it's, 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 and uh, you know, and, and he's talking about repurposing whatever, you know, whatever stupid comment he made. No, it's you. Look in the mirror. It's you, and it's your style, your system. You know, you should man up. And 
Instead, Steve Cohen makes more excuses for him, sits at a table, a high-top table and says, geez, I, I'm surprised we're pitching so bad and we have no pitching in the minor leagues. And, uh, you know, so now it's uh, – and the, one final point, let me, let me irritate everybody. And Mets fans get what they deserve. They put up with this crap. They get what they deserve. Yeah, it's been going on for a while. The, the Glaber point, I remember when he was with the, he was with the Cubs – that was a coveted deal they made and coveted. Yep. everybody and to your, to your point, And I, I believe this, whether it's kids or adults, they'll do whatever they, they're not going to do. what's emphasized. They're going to do what's tolerated. And I wonder, you know, 20 years when Glaber looks back on his career, maybe he'll make so much money. He won't care, but I always caution kids this. Um, I'm big into that. I, 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 uh, I probably man up too much at practice with these kids, but I'm so cautious of the fact that they don't get it anywhere else. And I'll, I, I will, I don't raise my voice, but I'm right to them stern and say, we don't do that, or this is how we do that. And mm-hmm. I get it right away. So they understand, but I, and I tell them right away, I said, you're, you're, you may think I'm the biggest, you know, what in the world today or tomorrow. Um, you may hate me for a day, a week, a month. I said, yes, here's two things that you're going to realize about me. I'm going to sleep fine tonight. Um, whether you're mad at me or not. And 20 years from now, when you're in a situation with your child or somebody else's child, you're going to look back on this and you're going to say, huh, this guy had been where I want to go. He's doing what I wanted to do. He knew what to do and he held me accountable. If I don't and you recognize that 20 years from now, I can deal with one or two days you hate me because I'm, I'm, I'm a mean cuss. But 20 years from now, you resenting me, I can't live with that. I won't sleep well. So th- those are things I wonder if somebody like Glaber will, will be cognizant of. 20 years from now. I don't think so. You know, I know what you're saying, but I don't think so because, because it's happened so much now where he like forgets to cover second base or watch the ball go by him. And again, they're not, it doesn't happen like, uh, you know, every game. It's kind of like a once a week, something happens, but once a week, something happens that makes you shake your head. I mean, if my team is losing and I know I've been playing there you know, and I know I had a lot of success at Camden Yards, but I know they built the wall way back for guys like me now, so I can't have that success. So if I hit a, a ball that I think I have it all and I know it's out of every other ballpark, I'm still busting it simply because I know that they've tried to screw me with that wall. And if, if I can't get a home run, I'm going to damn well get a triple. But I don't think they have that mindset anymore. Yeah, you know, I would have been out of the box there. And I'm thinking, you know, I'm thinking to myself, triple, stand up triple, you know. And, I, and those are the things that lift a team when you're down 7-1, I think it was at the time, that might spark a comeback. Sure. But they don't have that concept of thinking anymore. It's like, all right, I got my good swing on. It's like when you hear post-game interviews, what happened, you know, the typical question, uh, how did you feel when you hit it? And, you know, uh, well, you know, I put a good swing on it. You know, I'm so tired of putting a good swing on it. Hit the ball. You know, the other thing is, uh, and I'm, we're running out of time now here, so I, I want to get to my other column. Uh, I did the dinosaur of the 300 hitter. And I went back every year, Dave, and looked at the number of 300 hitters. And, of course, when I wrote the column, there were only nine. Now there's ten. Otani's jumped into the uh, uh, in, into the fray. And, and, you know, where would baseball be without Otani, by the way? But there's only ten 300 hitters in baseball now when it – it's probably never been easier to be a 300 hitter. I agree. Simply because the nerds, this is what, and I predicted this, the nerds with the shift that you can't shift, the nerds are still shifting. They're just shifting within the shift. So 
you're having shortstops either playing way in the hole or up the middle, and all those balls that used to be hit the shortstops are now base hits, you know? So so there's still a shift going on. The third baseman is usually way over, so you, you got both lines to shoot at. You, if you if you if you put any kind of decent bunt down, you can walk the first base. Um, the, the 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 defense is shifting you one way, and then the pitcher the defense is shifting you to pull in the outfield or whatever, and then the pitcher is throwing you away. I mean, there's so many things you can do now to hit 300, but there's only there were only nine when I wrote the column. There's ten now. You have to go all the way back to 1968 when the amount was five inches higher, 15 inches high. Bob Gibson, those guys uh, could find a fewer number, and there were six back then. It's the only time it was a uh, single figure since 1968. And if you go back to 99, the Wild West days of 99 and stuff, there were 55 300 hitters in wow. Major League Baseball. So we we have lowered the bar so much, and, and, and they've created so many ways for you to hit better now, but nobody, hardly anybody is doing it. Uh, you know, Tani's doing it. If you watch his home runs, they go the other way a lot. Yoshida's doing it, uh, uh, you know, and you'll look at that list. Great hitters, Freeman, um, guys that put the ball in play. Um, it, it's really an embarrassment to baseball that there's only 10, 300 hitters in, all across the game right now. Well, batting, batting average and RBIs don't matter, right? That's what they told everybody. And just yeah. like, you know, it's, it's again, it, it's, you repeat the lie long enough, it becomes truth. That's right. That's a, that's another thread through our our shows. I um I wanted to bring up this point because I know you're a you're a student of the game, both personality wise, but what's going on in the game as well. Um, Volpe the other night. Th- this is where our, the, the the phone buzzed like crazy and the iPads went crazy. And this is for our young audience out there. My, my our team went nuts on this when it happened. Runner on second, no outs. Um, just so our, our audience knows the young kids. With no outs, runner on second, anything right side on the ground, you're advancing for the most part. In front of you, you're holding, and you're, you can move about as far as the ball is away from you. You judge it. In the air, you're tagging. Um, if there's one out, you would go halfway, and in either way, you adjust. But Volpe was on second base, and, and uh, I put my phone down and turned it over because I knew my kids were going to go nuts on it. But the phone was buzzing like crazy. Ball was hit right in front of him. I mean, six feet in front of him. He took off to third base with Judge on deck, who was swinging a hot bat, and made the second out at third base, trying to advance on a routine ground ball to shortstop. Oh. I don't know what the read was. I don't know what the communication was from the third base coach to him prior. Um, but for the young kids out there, the coaches He's listening. He's got a good third base coach. It's uh, one of Felipe's kids. Yeah. Yeah. Yes, you're right. Yep. He, um, But just, I mean, put his head down and went. And for the young kids out there, even if your coach doesn't ask you, give a verbal and visual of the outs. Take a look at your outfield depth and your infield depth so you know where it's at. Look at who, know who's on deck because if he's on second base where well, you shouldn't advance anyway, but if he's on second base with judge up with, you know, with two outs because they would have thrown the guy out of first base, base hit scores him. He's fine right there. And, um, you know, understand that, that runner, if, if nothing else, understand runner on second base, what to do right there. And coaches out there work on that every day. We 20 minutes of base running. We do every day. We always end it with runner on second base because that's like red zone offense in football to me. Mm. Get a guy in second. You got to score. Um, you got to figure it out. Because first of all, he can steal third, you know, he, he could have stole. Anybody can steal anything now. And, um, 
that uh, that's a great point you bring up. And and again, he's a good baseball kid, you know, uh, Jersey guy, tough guy. Yeah. Uh, and knows his stuff. But again, he's being indoctrinated into the poor ways of playing baseball, probably by the way the Yankees do things. Uh, you know, he you and I made that mistake know. as a high school kid. Yeah. He would not have yeah. made that. I, I saw him play. He would have not made that mistake. As, that's the part that bothers me about his hitting, too. He looks like he's lost. He's and lost. He, he yeah. has no, you, I think you, ident- you said he has no identity. Yeah. I think that's, that's exactly what's going on with Pulpy. And, and again, you can expect this thing to happen. Go historical references. Go back to when Mickey Mantle came up. He was lost for a while. Yeah. It happens with young, talented kids. They're going to be. It's not easy. It's not easy hitting, and 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 I I insist. Yes, the pitchers throw harder than ever, but they, it's it's. I think it's easier hitting these guys nowadays, uh, unless you get a pitcher who puts it together like a Fujinami who comes in. I will give you that. You know, facing a guy like that, that's tougher than uh, you know maybe facing a starter into the eighth inning. I will give you that, but uh, uh, but that's few and far between now. You can do. The other thing they did, and I want to ask you this before we get out of here, but why don't major league players make the pitcher field more balls now? Because they're all out of position. And 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 I'm watching the Phillies the other day. There's a pop up hit between um, between uh, you know a little third and short on the infield grass. Key part of the game. They went and lost the game. They weren't a four to two at this time, so it cost them the game. Um, Trey Turner and the third baseman collide. The ball drops. Uh, it should have been, you know, they were both calling for it, and uh, it should have been Turner's play. The pitcher's nowhere to be found. The pitcher's got to be pointing like you do with you with your guys on, yeah. on, 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 on dirt balls. The pitcher's got to be yelling, screaming there, you know, Trey, Trey, or Soto, Soto. I mean, it's not that hard. But nobody, there's no communication anymore. And Rob Thompson, who I know very well, the manager, he was like basically the Yankees fundies coach. So he knows what's going on. But, you know, they have 38, the Phillies have 38 errors. And people wonder what happened to them. You know, it's a Harper injury. This is a, No, 38 errors. They lead the league in errors. They stink defensively. And uh, anybody can play anywhere in the nerd world. And that's just another example of not the pitcher not taking command and getting back to my point of, I want these pitchers to field. I wouldn't. I wouldn't bunt against a Mike Messina who knows what he's doing. But you, every one of these guys that's out there nowadays, I want to bunt against them just to make them throw the ball in the right field. Make them bend over. That's. I mean, that's. They're they're so immobile. They don't want to bend. And they're, and they're, you're right. They're out of whack when they complete their delivery. So they're not in position to field the baseball at all. They're they're well, it's basically your philosophy of moving the feet of the hitter. I want to move the feet of the pitcher. Yeah. I like that. I, uh, I, I've got a question. You brought up stolen bases. I want to ask you this. You know, we, we went through the steroid era with baseball where they started placing asterisks on home runs and whatnot. I mean, the baseball, the stolen base numbers are out of control right now. And I mean, we all know it's because of the number of looks and because of the bases. I mean, we're, we're going to see Vince Coleman, Tim Raines, Ricky Henderson numbers, at least in season anyway, just look like nothing after a while. They're going to evaporate. Yep. Yeah. Do we do we asterisk these numbers? We should. And, and I, I wouldn't use an asterisk. I would use a capital M for Manfred because <laughs> um, you know he's ruined the game on so many levels. And this is just another example. Uh, and, and when I hear, and I love broadcasters. I mean, I'm you know these guys got to be with their teams. I get it. 
Uh, there's a few a few of them I don't like at all, and I don't want to mention their names because I just think they're they're shills beyond shills, um, self promoters, things like that. But most of them are good. But when I hear them just going gaga over the fact that Acuna is the first player ever to have 20 homers and 50 stolen bases by August 1st, and not having the courage to say, and of course we all know. The stolen base rule has been uh, just, it's much easier to steal bases now than it's ever been because of the new rules. Oh, yeah. They don't have the courage to say that. That's a disservice to the fans. And, and the balls the are juiced. That's easy to see, too. Oh, the balls and the bats are juiced. Yeah. Like These are great bats. I mean, everybody uses uh, a lighter bat now, like Tony Gwynn did. He used a little piece here. Um, but, you know, the balls take off, the ballparks are smaller. Again, everything is the hitter's advantage. Everything. Pretty much, except for that Oriole wall, wall that they moved back, and uh, and by the way, they will never sign. Not that they, the Angelos family, would ever spend any money, but they would never sign a major. Hit. No major right-handed hit or left-handed hitter is ever going to go to Baltimore. So in the end, that's going to hurt them. Yeah. What about? And, and I sorry, I keep prolonging this. I didn't realize this until they. I realized it early, but I was asking my son. I said, oddly, Rushman's wearing thirty-five. Wasn't that Mucina's number? And yeah. uh, he he has yet to have his number retired in Baltimore. Well, I go back to ownership. Ownership yeah. doesn't like him. He went to the Yankees, and Mussina's uh he he manned up. He 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 was one of my favorite Yankees to cover because he was he was that little there was a little bit of that Stanford sarcasm that sometimes right. drives me crazy. You know, I'm better than you type thing. But he 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 took it with a grain of salt, and he and he really wasn't. That was just his his way, and. Um, because he went to the Yankees, they haven't retired his number. And it's, again, there are so many bad owners in baseball. You know, I can't wait to the Angelos uh, family, uh, you know, sells that team. And um, I would love to see Cal Ripken yeah. come in. But, again, we're, go- we're getting an era of baseball, Dave, where you're going to get nothing but hedge fund guys. So uh, you're going to get the Steve Collins, who's, who supposedly was a Mets fan growing up. I don't know that for a fact. And then um, they think they can just – just like they run their companies, you know, uh, they think they can run run it any way they want and be super successful and buy buy their way to a championship. And they they learn the hard way. But that's that's the story behind Messina. Yeah, and I would I'd love to see the Ripkins buy the Orioles too. That would be poetic. And and uh, as you mentioned our last show, I'd, I'd like to see some of these guys like they're bringing back you know Andy Pettit to the Yankees, get Willie Randolph back, get some of these baseball guys back in the dugouts so they can start to man up a little bit and get back. Yeah. To How Willie Randolph is not in the major league dugout is beyond me. Oh. First of all, he's well-respected in the baseball community. Um, well-respected in the black community. Young, young, young players would listen to him in the black community, all baseball people. Um, and he did, he, I thought he did a great job with the Mets. You know, I did he, too. He, he had a lot of X factors going against him with the Mets. Both him and Rick Peterson did a great job and they both got screwed. And, um, um, and Willie, for some reason, can't get back in the dugout. And he's also in great shape. He can he can work. You know, it's like uh, I think we both knew uh, one of our friends let us know that the um, the Yankees showed up in Fort Myers, the A-team. Uh, and I mean that sarcastically, uh, their Tampa team, the A-team. Um, they showed up with seven pitching machines because no, they don't they don't have coaches to them BP anymore. So they showed up for a series in Fort Myers with seven pitching machines. You know, and uh, Willie, Willie Randolph can still pitch BP night and day. Oh, no question. That was my favorite player growing up. In fact, when I signed my contract, 
I requested and I got one from Mizuno, his model glove that he used because it was a <laughs> small one, 10. It was 10 and three quarters. And uh, I we'll still have to get Willie on the show. I we'll think Willie on the show. Oh my God. He was, he was my favorite growing up. I thought he was, and Billy Martin loved him. I mean, he plucked him from the Pirates and I would love to see him and Jeter get back with that middle with the Yankees and, and teach those young two guys how to be a middle. Yeah, that would be a great move. I mean, that's that's like a no-brainer, right? Yeah. Well, you would think. But, but it's uh, power. It's all about power. It's all about cash and making the move and picking up this guy or that guy. And, you know, like I said, the uh, the 110 million he wasted and went and, and within a week in February, way back when, signing Aaron Hicks and Severino, the long-term contracts. And, uh, uh, you know, why rely on baseball people when you can be the star of the show, even if the show sucks? Yeah. And did you, you hear before, they were pumping Severino up with his last two starts. Um, oh. And I believe that he was on the trading block. I think they were trying to move him, and he sabotaged that unintentionally by blowing Yeah, they up. were one starter over. They had one, you know, they had, the guys coming back, they were one starter over for now. And and I said it from the beginning when I first saw him this year, he was out of shape. I don't care what you say. He was he was fat. He was fat savvy. Yeah. And um and um for whatever reason, maybe he wanted to get more power in his legs. I, I don't know. I'm not in the clubhouse. Uh I would ask him. I mean I, that's who I was as a writer. I would walk up to him and say, Hey, by the way, I've I've seen you gain some weight. Um, what what's the thinking behind that? And instead of the other thing I want to mention too, writers nowadays ask the either or question. You know, they already give, they supply the answer one way or the other. You know, the old like, um, you know, when did you stop beating your wife type thing or whatever. But they, they, they give, um, they give you an either or. I, I always found the most successful way to ask questions was just to keep the question really simple and as few words as possible. And I always had, a, I had a, I had a rule towards the end of my career, and the players love this, Dave. And I let them know. They knew I would ask good questions. I wasn't fooling around. And, you know, by the bottom line is they like to talk to you when they can, when they got time. But a lot of times during the season, they're doing work. They're doing too much work. They're doing this, doing that. So they don't have that much time. So I would walk up to a guy and say, listen, I'm not going to use any more than two and a half minutes. Sometimes I would say 90 seconds. I only need 30 seconds. And they'd say, oh, really? I, I said, yeah, put the timer on. And actually, DeGrom one time put the timer on me. You know, he took out his phone, put the timer on it, and I, and I got done within the time frame, and he laughed and stuff like that. Um, but ask a direct question, please. Get, let's get back to direct questions. And don't tell them what the answer is. Let them tell you what the answer is. Yeah. No, it's, it's part of that, that new world they're doing. But, yeah, I, I, uh, I would concur, and I think all of our guests on the show would agree that you're, uh, you're a great question asker, and you, you're able to bring things out of guests and you do it with me too when you ask me questions that I either wasn't thinking of or, or didn't couldn't figure out how to articulate but your question helps shape a, a way to bring something inside out to our audience I think that's what makes the show so great well uh, you, you know it. it's, it's a question just a tip for everybody because everybody's not going to be a baseball player maybe somebody's going to be a broadcaster writer whatever um, you listen to what the person's saying you, you're not thinking about your next question you know you listen and you have a conversation and that's what I always did. And that's why when guys like Beltran were around, sometimes we'd have, you know, we'd talk for 40 minutes, A-Rod, 40 minutes, Aaron Judge, 40 minutes, you know, when they had time. And, and you got to know when they're, when the time is right to do this kind of stuff. You know, it's always great to get that piece, write that piece where you go, 
especially for former players. You go visit them or, or when they get traded. Travis Darno, I went out to a Travis Darno's house out in Orange County when the Mets acquired him. Spent a whole day with him working out, you know, when he's, uh, you know, practicing. Talked to his college coach and uh, went to his house. He invited me over. I'm still, still friends with the parents and the dad is a piece of work. And so we're we're in the uh, we're at his house and and he, dad wants to show me something. He takes me out to the garage, and um, and uh, you know dad's got the motorcycle. He's a pretty cool guy, and uh, he's got in these he's got these glass. Uh, he's, he's got in his garage. He's got seven Komodo dragons. I think they're called. You oh know, my that, god, that giant lizard type thing, and uh, on purpose. Yeah, I, okay. yeah, on purpose. I said, what, what are we doing here? And he goes, oh, I raised them. You know, you sell them, you, you get some little, and he raises them, and he sells them for big profit. So you find that interesting. So so Travis Dorneau had a father, has a father, who, who raises Komodo dragons. So that made it a little bit more interesting. Uh, so years later, you could ask, walk up to him and ask him a question, make a joke, and move on. No, it definitely personalizes it. Well, um, as you, we talked a little bit about your articles, another couple great articles this week and I encourage all of our audience to continue to support ball nine and, and read Kevin's articles. You'll, you'll be, you'll open up a side, a side of your brain in terms of baseball that won't ordinarily be opened up. And um, I would encourage young and old tune into those articles every week, keep communicating with us. Let us know what you want to hear about uh, another great show today. What, what haven't we covered today, Kevin? What, what else you want to. No, I think we got it all. And, uh, you know, um, I do want to go back to that one quote from a pitching coach, and I don't even want to mention the organization, but uh, when when he was uh, talking about um, someone that asked him, one of the pitchers, I think, was talking about, you know, feeling off on his delivery or whatever, and, and he said, uh, I'm not a mechanic, Mecha- mechanics are for cars. These are the kind of people they're inviting into Major League Baseball to teach these players, and you wonder why these teams have so many injuries. We can go on and on. The snake oil salesman GMs. This is a, the trade deadline brings out the best of them. You know, yep. we see all the snake oil salesmen now. We're in it. You know, we're, uh, here's my other favorite quote, uh, and you see with the Reds now, oh, we're, 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 we're turning over every stone or whatever. It's, you know, one cliche after another. Uh, if I'm the Reds, go out and get some pitching and win this thing, you know, do some, you got some young players. And the other thing is finally, I want to say a lot, you're really seeing now, Dave, the teams that didn't realize what these new, new rules would make, uh, how it would make the game and bring back a level of athleticism and, um, and, and contact. They haven't figured it out. And it's so obvious now to me, the bad GMs, no matter, even if they have good teams, the bad GMs, you can really see them even more so now than ever. Yeah, no, I think it's a great point. And, um, you know, you, you you brought up a point, and I want audience to, to use this when they're reading your articles or even listening to on the show. A lot of these pundits out there, they're great at the, the first 10 words. They'll give you the catchphrases. Uh, oh. You hear at Epler. Our price points are high. Yeah. <laughs> I, I'm not buying a mattress. Come I know. on. Billy, I'm trying to get a uh, I'm trying to get a competitive team here that that winning is important to them, not just having colorful shoes, colorful hair, and a and a, a glove that's wrapped in plastic. That's it. And if but it, through the audience, if you want the next ten words, I encourage you to read Kevin's articles and listen to him on this show because the those guys will give you the first ten. He's going to give you the next ten. That's the how, the why, the what, and and the in depth stuff. So um, I think that's that's why one of the many reasons why you're appreciated so much out there. 
But uh, make sure we tune in next week to our shows. We've got a slew of great guests coming up over the next couple months. Our business structure up and running. We'll have store open, everything up, hopefully by the end of the week. And um, we will get that out to our audience. You can take full advantage of it. Follow Kevin, like I said, on Ball 9. Support our brothers over there. They do a great job of of, uh, really getting underneath baseball in a number of different ways. And continue to tune into our show, Apple, Amazon, Spotify, Stitcher. We will hopefully be on iHeartRadio by the end of this week. And we'll have another some other streaming devices you can use to to tap into our show. And Dave, I just thought of it. My final word while you're saying all this. uh, And if you want for fun, like if you're having an event, you know, have me and Dave over. That would be, uh, you know, talk to your business leaders and figure out how to get things done, how to man up and uh, get things done. Yep. We certainly would. We'd certainly work with you guys to get out there. I think that's a that's a definite immediate line of our our new business. What's wonderful to hear us on podcasts, they can record. But to get us in person, you'll get the you'll get the true the true blue Kevin and Dave there. So that's a great point. We'll get that out there as well. Uh, with that, episode 235 in the books with Coach and Kernan, the Hall of Famer Kevin Kernan, America's most beloved sports writer. I'm Dave D'Agostino signing off. It's 1130 on July 31st, so we still have a little bit before the trade deadline. So stay in tune with the trade deadline, and, and uh, hopefully your dreams come true with your team. But if you're a Yankee or Mets fan, probably not. So thanks again, Kevin. I appreciate you so much. Enjoy it, Dave. Thanks. <laughs> <laughs>